Hello, you're listening to Mastering Retail, a brand new podcast series about how to succeed in the world of e-commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential. Essential's Digital Commerce Business Unit owns a variety of different companies specializing in different domains of e-commerce. We've got White Spider, Perpetua, OneSpace, Edge, Spotlight, and last but not least, the company I work at, Flywheel Digital, in Baltimore, just to name a few. For this season, we're focusing on Amazon. You've probably heard of them. I'm going to bring you on an educational journey that should leave you ready to win on Amazon, no matter the level of knowledge you had beforehand. We're going to dig into the most important areas to focus on with an emphasis on media and retail, hence the name Mastering Retail. My name is Emma Irwin, and I entered the e-commerce industry fresh out of college about a year ago. I am 23 years old and some change, and normally I'm helping brands drive sales growth on Amazon, but now I'm also hosting this podcast. We're going to start very easy. (laughs) You say easy. There is always room for learning in this industry, and how better for me to continue to expand my own knowledge than talking to some of the brightest minds we have at Essential. I will screw it up. You just give me time. So why not join me for the ride? All right, all right, all right, all right. We'll get into the very technical aspects of driving growth on Amazon throughout this season, but I wanted to start off talking to the founder of the company I work for. As mentioned, that's Flywheel Digital. His name is Patrick Miller. So I do all of our grocery shopping and and most of our household shopping. And apparently Patrick is a real bore to go grocery shopping with. My wife refuses to go into a grocery store with me um, because I'm so obnoxious and I'll walk down every single aisle uh, and look at like the deals, the pricing, the selection, comment on it, you know, you know, complain that they're not doing something similar, you know, on Amazon, if it's a brand that I work with, uh, you know, I've bought things that I've seen in, in, in retail and then gone up to a brand and said, why aren't you, you know, letting us sell this, uh, you know, on, uh, on Amazon. So yes, yes. I'm an, I'm an absolutely awful person to grocery shop with. Patrick Miller is when he's not grocery shopping, no longer working exclusively at Flywheel Digital. He actually oversees all of the e-commerce brands at Essential. And in this episode, he's going to tell us about the three most common mistakes that brands and manufacturers make when it comes to e-commerce. And from here, we have some of the best knowledge available to send us forward on the path of winning on Amazon and other retailers later on. Patrick's title today is co-president of digital commerce at Essential. And there he's doing mostly... Well, it's probably better that I just let him explain what he does. So I look at my job like I, I spend. So last year we we acquired um, you know seven companies. Um, so I did a lot of work uh, you know on the on the on the M and A side um, you know with a ton of help from you know phenomenal colleagues uh, you know on our on our strategy team, um, and then also spending time um, you know on uh, the uh, you know on, on the product side, and so. You know, each of the brands that we that we that we purchase that join the essential team, um, you know, they do one of two things. Um, they either extend services, um, you know, to our existing clients. Um, so somebody like you know White Spider and everything that they're doing with Walmart or, or One Space, um, you know, in in, in content, uh, you know, creation or or ASR in driving editorial recommendations. And, and so what I love is that our existing clients can then benefit from these you know acquisitions, and then we're able to do more you know for them. 
Additionally, um, you know, many of these, um, you know, brands also add, um, you know, to the sort of amount of GMV, um, you know, that we have under management. And so then, um, you know, it, that then helps us, you know, see what's happening, you know, on a, from a marketplace perspective, uh, in, in, in what's driving growth. And so that then allows us, uh, you know, to, to drive better insights for our brands, uh, and help them see around corners, um, you know, even better. So I, my job is, you know, both sort of Thinking through, um, you know, sort of the the M and A side, um, you know, but also, you know, okay, well, how do we, you know, stitch these things together, and and how do we, you know, create value for, you know, our clients uh, and our retailers, um, because I, ultimately our goal is to create value for both uh, and and do things in a way, um, you know, that you know I think there is a third way, um, you know, that you know both the brands and the retailers um, can be successful in this space, and it's our job to help them both figure that out. Where do you see Essentials Digital Commerce? And the whole business unit going in 10 years, if you can, again, even predict that far out. Uh, it's, uh, it's more more guesses than than than, than predictions, um, but it, but I, I think it's it's similar to Flywheel, and it's 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 a sustaining um, you know business um, you know that has um, you know clients um, you know that that value the services and and technology uh, that have colleagues um, you know that are you know enjoying um, you know their time uh, at Essential and finding purpose you know in the work, um, and that it's a, a collection. I mean, one of my favorite parts about um, you know the the M and A side is. You know, getting to know these new teams and like and and like they're they're wonderful you know they're they're and they're they're different i mean it's like my man my you know if i look at like you know 4k um you know just you know agile you know china focused SaaS, you know you know focused on you know sellers over there and they're partnering you know you know probably the best um with white spider you know bentonville um you know based you know you know you know company that you know you know that has a uh, an airstream you know wrapped in you know their their logo uh, and then you layer in, you know, Perpetua, um, you know, led by, um, you know, Roscoe, who has, you know, just a phenomenal background and, and they've built something, you know, amazing within Perpetua. And so both the, the products are complementary, the services are complementary and the people um, are complementary. And, and I think they make, you know, by adding them to the team, um, you know, they make everybody else better. I have a warning before we move on. You might have already noticed, but Patrick uses a lot of acronyms. Most people in this business do, and from there you can even break it down into acronyms that specific retailers use. But Patrick is leading the pack here. You have probably already heard acronyms like ASP, SKU, ASIN, etc. But I'll try and stop when we come across acronyms that even I had to look up. So apologies if I miss one. As mentioned, Patrick will tell us about the three most common mistakes. We're gonna start very easy. What was the last one? You say one? easy, but, we'll, but <laughs> this will be but easy. But we'll, I will screw it up. You just give me time. But I started it all off with a very simple question to him. This is a, it's a memory question. So okay, what is the last thing you purchased on Amazon? Oh, what did I? I I just bought um, six tubes for my road bike. So I got a. I went out on a on a long ride uh, yesterday. Got a flat. And, uh, and, and, and so when I got home, I bought tubes. It's really interesting, like listening to the things that people buy on Amazon. Cause they're so, cause I've asked a couple other people, but it's so random kind of what these things are. And they're not things that you would ever really kind of like go to the store for I, in my no, mind. It's selections, the weapon, like, and I, and I, you know, you just, you're like, I'm like, oh, I need long valve Presta tubes, uh, to fit in, you know, the, the, the wheels. And, uh, 
I, yeah, just saw them, clicked on it, bought, should be here later today. Amazing. Is that something that you could like, would Walmart, like a physical Walmart have those or is it really specific to a bike store? Yeah, specialty bike store would because it's a Presta valve and it's an extended because I've because um, the way the wheels are made. Um, so the closest bike shop to me is a you know just you know a little bit further away. So the convenience of Amazon, click on the. It's also an item that uh, specialty retail would uh, make a ton of margin on. So it's sort of a, a necessity item that you would uh, you know pay you know uh, at, at specialty retail would probably cost eight to nine dollars a piece. I got six for like twenty five bucks. Um, so it again shows sort of both, both the power of selection as well as the marketplace as far as, you know, sort of ASP per unit. Sounds like a steal. <laughs> we'll see if they show up and they have holes in them, then we'll have another problem. But, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll Fair. find out free returns though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. And then next question, I'm going to have you wait until the end, but I'm going to like put it on your radar for something to think about. But something that is on a digital wish list of yours and say maybe it's been something that's been in a cart like in some for on some retailer for a long time that you just like won't press purchase on. And whoever is watching your behavior online is like, please just buy this so that we can stop targeting you with ads. So think about that and we'll circle back to it. Sure. Okay. With that simple task laid out ahead of Patrick Miller, let's move on to the first mistake. I sent Patrick an email some days ago asking for the three most common mistakes that brands and manufacturers make in the world of e-commerce. And the first mistake he pointed out sounded like this in his email. Not realizing selection is biggest asset. Not building selection with profitable unit economics. I asked Patrick to elaborate a little bit more about what that means. Sure. So, um... You know, Amazon has hundreds of millions of, of, of SKUs or, or ASINs. So there, there's an exponential amount of uh, selection. So you, you can put everything on there. It is the everything store. Uh, the opposite is also true. Um, and so, you know, if you decide as, as a brand that you don't want to put something on Amazon and you, you want to have distribution elsewhere, whether that's other classes of trade um, or your D2C, um, that's a powerful weapon. And that's a way that you as a brand, um, you know, can best, you know, sort of both control, um, you know, your channel dynamics, um, but also steer traffic. Um, and so I think for, for brands being thoughtful as far as, um, you know, that you have distribution strategies that are in your long-term best interest, um, that also, uh, complement your channel strategies, uh, to, in, in order to pricing is, in real time and obviously at the sole discretion of the retailer, if brands put together um, you know, go-to-market strategies that allow them to be profitable. And so everything from, you know, sort of what's the modal of delivery? You know, if it's Target, it's pickup and store. Uh, you know, if it's Amazon, it's it, it, it's shipped to home. If it's Instacart, it's delivered in a brown, you know, paper bag. Well, each of them have different, you know, economics around them, uh, different customer experiences. Uh, and so um, not just listing an item on a site because you can, um, but being thoughtful about it and, and, and optimizing the selection in a way that ultimately, um, you know, creates value for your brand uh, and, and helps the retailer um, achieve um, the market fit um, that they're going after. How would you advice because I have a feeling that your I mean your strategy is going to differ based on really the category that you're in. Do you have any like overarching words of advice to manufacturers out there? So they just heard you say that, but can you I'm trying to ask like 
break it down by category because it's going to be slightly different. It, it, it will. So I, I think sort of a, a very practical way to look at it is um, if you're getting ready, if, if you're starting from scratch, um, you know, you know, drop into the into Seller Central and use the uh, FBA calculator um, to find out, you know, sort of, you know, what the profit would look like, whether you're a vendor or a seller. What does it look like if you're selling at the price that you think as a function of the cube and the and, and the uh, and the mass of the item? I'll just cut in here because now the use of acronyms start. I'll restart his answer in a bit, but first I'm going to break down some of the letter combinations you're about to hear. Enter my dictionary skills. So D to C is obviously direct to consumer. Think of a SKU in this context representing one product. You'll hear about Vendor Central and Seller Central, which tie back to either being a first-party seller or vendor on Amazon, i.e. you sell your goods directly to Amazon for a cost, versus a third-party seller who sells directly to the consumer but can utilize Amazon's fulfillment services to get products to consumers as fast as possible. Patrick will also mention the FBA calculator, which is a tool in Seller Central that allows you to really break down the costs and fees associated with selling products in order to determine profitability. Last one while we're here is SIOC, which just means we're talking about a product that ships in its own container. With that in mind, let's bring Patrick back. If you're starting from scratch, drop into the into Seller Central and use the uh, FBA calculator um, to find out, you know, sort of, you know, what the profit would look like, whether you're a vendor or a seller. What does it look like if you're selling at the price that you think as a function of the cube and the and the uh, and the mass of the item? Um, because you you know you only really get one chance you know as you sort of you know list an item. So thinking about not just what does it look like on the physical shelf, but what does it look like on the digital shelf? And 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 what's the unboxing moment when when a customer receives it? You know, sort versus non-sort. You know, is it is it Sioc? You know, you can you can both create a better customer experience, um, you know, and make more money by being you know you know thinking about this further upstream um, than waiting until the product's done and it's listed, and then all of a sudden you find out it's non-sort, non-Sioc, and it costs you a ton, um, you know, to, to to sell the item, or it needs prep, it needs bubble wrap, it needs, you know, taping, it needs bagging, uh, et cetera. All those things create a ton of downstream cost, you know, both uh, both Amazon as well as the manufacturer. Um, and so solving them earlier enables, um, you know, growth longer term that's, that's actually profitable. We hear about profitability all the time and that, you know, it's key to success. And so since Amazon is, you know, the price is at the sole discretion of Amazon, essentially, what else can go into making sure that you're set up for success in terms of profitability? When we think about distribution, uh, Amazon um, tends to be a, a price follower. Um, so they see how others are uh, pricing in the marketplace, uh, and then they and they and then they follow. The, the higher the velocity, um, you know, of the ASIN, um, so the higher it's 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 it's, it's BSR, um, the more likely that they will then do uh, math on top of the follow. If it's ranked number, you know, 10,000 in the category, you know, they're typically just going to look at UPC, try to match, uh, and then, you know, move on with their day. Um, you know, if it's a top five, you know, top 50, um, ASIN in category, um, they'll start doing math. And so they'll start counting number of pills, sheets of toilet paper, you know, number of ounces, et cetera, and then matching them across, um, you know, different retailers. 
and, and, and what that can end up doing is uh, uh, decimating um, slope uh, and, and sort of the idea of, you know, sort of profit per unit. And so if I take a step back and I think about classes of trade and so whether it's, you know, you know mass or, or drug or, or convenience or club, um, well, all of a sudden Amazon's all those things. And so, you know, sort of tenets that, um, you know, that brands had as far as go to market and distribution strategy, you know, can quickly be, you know, evaporated, you know, by, um, you know, how Amazon matches. Um, but this is how the customer now shops. And so while it can be frustrating, you know, from a, from, from a manufacturer's perspective, when they have these, these well-architected, uh, you know, classes of trade, um, you know, classes of trade is a, uh, you know, a word and a construct, um, you know, that the, the, the consumer goods, um, industry uses customers don't care. Um, you know, they, they just want to be able to, you know, buy, you know, the item they want at a, at a, at a fair price in a convenient way. As previously mentioned, Patrick is probably no fun to go grocery shopping with unless you're equally interested in everything that he mentioned. Yes, I'm an, I'm an absolutely awful person to grocery shop with. Since starting this job, I've even noticed changes in how I view shopping, whether it be grocery or not. You know, it's an, it's an education process. Just because of how much I've learned about what goes on behind the scenes. 10 years ago, it was starkly apparent when it was a uh, who was winning the buy box. I find myself critiquing the way that people on the outside shop, like my own family, and I'm always saying, well, did you know, way too often. And over time, as Amazon has set a higher and higher bar for the three Ps, and they can ensure a better and better uh, customer experience, um, what I've observed as, as a shopper is it's, it's becoming harder and harder to tell who who is winning the buy box. And and, and ultimately, it, it becomes a you know almost fervent religious debate of 3P versus 1P, in many ways, in my mind, it becomes a distinction without a difference. And so, um, you know, there, there are subtleties, you know, to each, but, um, you know, I, I've seen times when, um, you know, you, you hit a PDP and you're not, you, if you're, you know, it's low cognitive load, you're just trying to click and buy, you don't even notice. But that's a compliment to the system that it's, you know, raised the bar high enough that the three Ps, uh, you know, and, and the one Ps that the customer just doesn't see the difference. So that, so that tells me it's working. I, I remember years and years ago, worked with a brand who, um, you know, they had a, uh, you know, they, they sold to a, uh, a discounter, um, short dated inventory that was dated at about 120 days. And at the time Amazon had a 90 day limit. Um, and so the, the, the discounter then sold it to, you know, listed as the three P, um, and then, you know, and, and, you know, undercut the price and it was driving this brand nuts. And, but what I found was really actually fascinating is that, um, the customer at the time, and it was a mom, it was a, it was a snack for kids. So it was mostly moms would be my guess buying it. They could see that it was the 3P and they didn't want to buy it. So they were actually still buying from the 1P. So they wouldn't bleed out the inventory on the 3P that was discounted. So the ASP stayed compressed like forever until this, the, 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 it actually just expired. People wouldn't even buy it. Um, today, I don't think that happens as much, um, because, you know, it's not that like customers know the difference, but it doesn't matter because the, the, the quality is that much better between 3P, 1P, assuming it's a branded product. Let's just recap. You're listening to Mastering Retail, a podcast about how to succeed in the world of digital commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential, and today's guest is... So hi, my name is uh, Patrick Miller. I am co-president of Digital Commerce at Essential. Let's move on to the second mistake that manufacturers and brands make trying to sell their stuff online. Before I reveal mistake number two, here's just a little explanation of some of the worlds we'll be talking about. 
Patrick is going to talk about first-party data here. And while an industry expert would not need any further explanation, and I could kind of relate first-party data to being like a first-party source of information and research, first-party data in e-commerce is information that a company can collect directly from its customers and then it owns. With that in mind, I think we can understand mistake number two. In the email Patrick wrote, he said, Putting too much effort into rounding error biz, i.e. D2C and 1P data, if you are a consumer brand. And here, he's going to tell us what that means. I feel like a lot of consumer brands have suffered from a long-held case of FOMO, and they looked at these, um, you know, D2Cs, and they thought that, you know, if they, you know, created a D2C, that they would, you know, suddenly be hip. Um in reality, um, you know, if you already have uh, mass distribution, the reason for D2C to exist is rounding error. Yes, you can get additional customer, um, you know, information. You can talk to your super fans, um, you know. But if I look at the entire D2C industry, uh, they now call themselves digitally native brands. Why do they call themselves digitally native brands? Because there's a glass ceiling on D2C, and and so if I go into you know a Target, you know, if I go into a Walmart. All of a sudden, I see Harry's. I see Dollar Shave Club. Why'd they get distribution there if D2C was such, you know, you know, you know, Nirvana? Because uh, it's a channel and has limited upside and the CACs get to be too high and people start doing math and they start thinking about EBITDA and it doesn't make sense. And so to me, like the mistake brands make is they say, oh, we're going to go after and create this monstrous D2C, you know, you know, you know, uh, business. Um, in a certain way, it's sort of similar to the, the first party data debate. Um most customers don't want a one-to-one -one relationship with the brand. Um, and so it's like as much as the brands want a one-to-one -one relationship with the customer, uh, you know, it, it, it's not reciprocated. Uh, and, and, and not only that, from a technological perspective, the brands don't have a closed loop. So there's no, what, what do you do with one party data if you don't have a closed loop? Nothing. You pay a bunch of money for it and then you upload it into, you know, maybe you upload it into a clean room or maybe you create a lookalike audience. But if that data is not handed back to you on a one-to-one -one basis, or you don't have a closed loop in which you can measure the efficacy of whatever you did with it, it's an academic exercise or a navel gazing exercise. And it doesn't actually drive a business outcome outside of sort of doing a little bit of learning. Um, you know, look, you're in a cable company, you know, a, a consumer electronics brand that has a robust D2C. Yeah, there's a ton you can do with it. And it's really, really fun. But if your primary route to market is via uh, retailers, um, I see the goal as much more of a partnership program, um, you know, to, you know, sort of learn with the retailers, because ultimately, they're the ones with the closed loop, which is why they're all building huge ad networks, um, because they finally figured out, you know, how much this is worth to them. Um, and so, you know, it, but to me, it's like, it's, it's a you know, I think consumer brands sometimes, you know, they spend too much time, you know, on ad exchanger, you know, which is, you know, so frequently, you know, people talking about, you know, just the open web, you know, the open web is, you know, significantly smaller, um, you know, than the, than the walled gardens. It's just the walled gardens don't talk. And then with that kind of mistake slash criticism, what should you be focusing on instead of 1P data or your D2C channel? It's not that you don't, it's, it's, it's put a, a commensurate amount of effort relative to the TAM. I'll just stop Patrick here again, because you guessed it, more acronyms. TAM. What is this TAM that he's talking about? TAM. Well, TAM stands for the Total Addressable Market. TAM. And that is referring to the total revenue opportunity available for a product or service, which is an important measurement to keep in mind as a business that is trying to maximize all potential revenue. TAM. 
Next one we've got is GRP, which is a gross rating point. GRPs are a commonly used metric in the advertising industry to basically estimate, via some math, how many people in an intended audience might have seen an ad. So with that knowledge, let's restart Patrick's answer to my question about what sellers should focus on if it's not D2C or 1P data. It's not that you don't, it's, it's, it's put a commensurate amount of effort relative to the TAM. And so if there's a path to a large TAM, absolutely go after it. And there, and there, and there, and there, and there can be great value in having a D2C with, you know, um, you know, scents that are, you know, no longer at mass retail or, you know, you're discontinuing an item and you want to pull people in. Um, it's just not, you know, it's not going to be a hockey stick. Um, and, you know, and the other thing is like, you look at like all the D2Cs, you know, that raise venture dollars. Um, well, where did those venture dollars go to? Well, they didn't go to building factories or becoming vertically integrated. They got shoveled into auctions. And so if I go back, you know, 30 years, well, how did CPGs get big? Well, the interesting thing about GRPs is the more you buy, the less it costs, um, you know, on a, on a, on a, you know, sort of to reach a customer. Um, so uh, auctions are the exact opposite. The more you buy, the more density you create, the more it costs. And so that is, uh, to me, a cocktail that's going to drive a, an amazing hangover in a sense that you have a bunch of borrowed dollars or venture dollars that are thrown into an auction. Well, who creates value there? Who gets the value? Is it the D to C? Yeah, maybe if they can sell it, but the CACs are so high. In reality, the one that, you know, makes all the money, you know, are the ad networks that are auction driven. Um, so anyway, for, for me, brands and sort of where to spend time, it's like, you know, what is your core, you know, you know, you know, competitive advantage? Um, you know, how do you meet your, your, your customer in, in, in a sincere way that the, the customer, you know, wants to interact with your brand that way? Um, and, and how do you create sort of an, 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 an agile uh, learning lab um, to see sort of what's changing, what are the arbitrages, and then drive after them, uh, you know, until others catch up and then move on to the next thing? That was an amazing answer, and I have to brush up on some of my acronyms on that one, too. Sorry. When I, I know I'll be listening back to it and remembering which acronyms you said that I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know what that is, but okay. All right. It's bad when you start conjugating them. That's when you know you have a problem. Well, yeah, even I, like... I'm going to keep going back to like taking this job when I talk to like normal people who don't work in e-commerce and start using acronyms like, well, the ASP or things like that. And they're like, the what? Like, yeah. what are you even saying? Well, the thing to do is you like, you talk to people in like government contracting and it's just like a whole nother bucket of acronyms. And then you can like just talk past each other and, uh, you know, and, and enjoy, enjoy a conversation without actually knowing what the other person said. Let's do another recap here before we move on. You're listening to Mastering Metail a podcast that gives you the knowledge to understand and operate in the world of e-commerce. And if you're wondering what Metail means, it's a combination of the words media and retail, which are two of the most important factors if you want to find success in e-commerce. We're going to dig deeper into those terms in some of the later episodes of this podcast. This premiere is about the most common mistakes that retailers and manufacturers make when it comes to e-commerce. Today's guest is Patrick Miller, who is the co-president of Digital Commerce by Essential. Before Patrick entered that role, he founded Flywheel Digital together with Chip DePaula. That's the company that I'm working at, and we're helping retailers drive sales growth on the largest e-commerce platforms out there. So before we move on to the third and last mistake, I asked Patrick how it all started with Flywheel Digital. We started Flywheel eight years ago because it's the same age as my dog. 
I uh, sold my house, moved to a 900 square foot house that needed to be renovated, uh, got a puppy, and uh, and and it started a business all at once. Um, so I figured, you know, you might as well go big. And uh, so in the evenings, um, I would, uh, you know, because early on it was kind of lonely. Um, so I would, you know, spend evenings pulling out staples of a linoleum floor from a hundred year old house, um, you know, <laughs> to pass Fun. the time. Uh, yeah, it's great. And, and uh, we started Flywheel, uh, you know, really with the idea that. Um, you know, there was, it was just as Amazon was launching, uh, Amazon marketing services, you know, we saw that, um, you know, that, that, that sellers, um, you know, had quickly adopted, um, you know, to these new, um, you know, opportunities, you know, whereas complex, uh, vendors were, um, you know, that, that, this was something that was, uh, you know, more challenging for them, uh, and traditional players, um, you know, were not, uh, in the space. And so it was sort of a cross between um, sort of what Advantage and, and, and Acosta would do on one side or WPP and, and, and Omnicom or whomever, uh, you know, more on the media side. So this sort of in category creation, if you will, um, you know, around the idea of you know, media plus retail, um, you know, creating this sort of, you know, retail environment. And so, um, you know, just uh, <laughs> dove right in and, and started figuring it out. And then what would you say are some of like the main challenges that you faced in, I mean, bringing an agency to life and figuring everything out. I'm sure there are more than one. Yeah, early on, like when we started developing the product, like I, I, I have the at, at this point, I'm the the world's uh, Flywheel's worst product manager. Um, and and early on, I I was saying to some of our uh, developer team, I was like, you know, I just want this magic box that does all these things. And then the end state is you just press a button at all. GMV grows and, and then that's it. Uh, and I, I later learned how to actually write requirements. But at the time, uh, I was a pretty awful um, uh, product manager. So I'd say, you know, early on, you know, sort of, you know, one waiting uh, to get clients, uh, but then two, um, you know, also then, you know, sort of funding, uh, you know, all of the technology, technology development, uh, you know, while at the same time, uh, running the business um, would be pro- probably the biggest, the biggest challenge, and also carrying cost of all the media. And then I know what Flywheel's main product offering is, but for anyone who might not know, can you describe Fila? Yeah, so 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 Fila was the the, the tech stack that we ended up um, you know building, and 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 really um, because Amazon operates in a in sort of a, a two pizza environment, um, you know, there's lots of uh, bespoke teams, um, you know, that are all customer obsessed, um, but are um, you know driving uh, in, in in slightly different directions, and so um, you know what. What, um, you know, Flywheel aims to do is, um, you know, combine those uh, various data sources to best help uh, the clients, um, you know, be successful. And so putting together, um, you know, retail data and, and retail data uh, in a way that, um, you know, brands can look at that and, and, and colleagues can look at that to ultimately uh, meet the brand's objectives, um, you know, which is, you know, typically uh, a profitable uh, growth, uh, you know, on the platform. And we've then been able to extend that, um, you know, to Walmart, uh, to Instacart, uh, Promote IQ, uh, Citrus, uh, et cetera. When did you know that you had really like reached success as an agency or I mean, I feel like we've definitely reached success, but like, was there a certain kind of point where you were really like, okay, we can do this. This is like a sustainable business model for us and we can keep the flywheel rolling. Um, 
The fun part of this space is like it's always changing and it's always evolving. Um, and so to me, what's more interesting is just sort of like, well, what can we, you know, what do we get to go do tomorrow and what do we get to go dig into and what do, um, you know, companies give us, you know, exposure to and, and what can we invent, uh, you know, how do we invent on our, our client's behalf? Um, the, the thing I'm sort of most interested in right now is probably Amazon Marketing Cloud and, and, and the clean room and stitching, you know, all that information together. Um, to me, I, I don't know. I just, I just look at the, uh, I'm very much sort of one foot in front of the other. Uh, and, and to me, the, uh, really the joy in this space is just like, you just get to kick over rocks and look underneath of them and, and figure things out and get to keep doing that every day. That's one of my favorite parts about finding my way into e-commerce and working at Flywheel. Nothing ever stays stagnant and it's a really like exciting and cool world to be in. You know, it changes every day and it, and it's just, and, and nobody, nobody tells you. And so to me, it's a game of like, I don't consider flywheel to be an agency. I mean, do we buy a lot of media? Yeah, but it's, I don't like, I, I see us as, as, as partners with brands and, and with retailers, um, to create value, um, you know, for, for everybody. And so it's a joint value creation exercise and we're creating a category. Um, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're not, building Super Bowl ads. It's great. There are people that are awesome at that. Um, you know, we're, you know, helping to create a category and define an industry. Um, and, 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 and that is, you know, something that changes every day. And so we have to, you know, think a bit differently and dig in in different ways than we would in, in sort of traditional endeavors. And then where do you see Flywheel in 10 years? If you can even imagine what 10 years from now looks like it just in the world that we live in and the industry that we're in. Uh, yeah, so I would say to me, one of the most heartening things about Flywheel is um, being able to um, see, um, you know, you know, colleagues, um, you know, ha having kids and and getting married and being able to put their their kids through school. And so, you know, always our our, our goal was to build a uh, sustaining business. Um, and so, in you know, in ten years, I'd like to see more colleagues that are finding success um, in in the business that are enjoying it you know, being thoughtful and digging in and, and finding purpose through the work um, and that it is successful enough, um, you know, that they're able to put their kids through school. So that was Patrick talking about how it all started and got to be what it is. With that background, let's get back to our three mistakes. We're still missing the third and last mistake that brands and manufacturers often make when it comes to e-commerce. In the email from Patrick, he writes, looking at short-term ROAS, not long-term incremental ROAS. And I'll just explain these two terms before we move on to Patrick's answer. And I know if you're in this industry, you should probably know these two. But for anyone in the back who needs a refresher or maybe someone looking to enter the e-commerce industry, this is for you. ROAS is your return on ad spend. And then GMV is a term used in digital retail to indicate a total sales monetary value sold through a specific marketplace for a specific period of time, taking into account any fees or other deductions that might occur. So ROAS is a, uh, a metric, um, you know, that is, you know, simply, you know, you know, sales divided by spend um, that the, you know, the various ad console UIs, um, you know, present to advertisers. Um, it is not GMV. And, and, and so, you know, nobody reports to Wall Street on what their CPCs were or their CPMs or their ROAS. Um, they report on sales. And so to me, what, what, what ROAS is, is it is a, it's an important metric, um, but it's a guardrail metric. 
And, and, and a lot of times when, you know, I, I, I've started working with a brand, um, you know, I'll talk to the brand and they'll say, hey, what I really want you to do is, you know, increase my ROAS by X percent. And what I'll say to them is, tell you what, we're going to tank your ROAS until you want to cry, but we're going to increase your GMV, which is ultimately what I think your goal is. And they get they look at me like, what on earth are you saying? You're insane. Um, but then you dig into it a little bit more, and it's just like, look, it, 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 it's an important metric, um, but it is not the only metric. And, and, and let's align with what your actual you know, business you know, you know, objectives are, and then what is the right way um, you know, to drive that business objective. And so um, you know, I'm really proud of all the work that our, our data science team you know, has um, done to you know, create a, a metric um, that helps brands see um, you know, incremental ROAS. And so saying, okay, this is what would have happened organically. Well, what happens you know, if I layer paid on top? And don't just take credit for the sun coming up, um, but take credit, you know, for what you actually drove uh, and, and then be able to optimize in, in that way. And so, you know, the fact that we can now show, you know, you know clients this in real time, um, you know, is, 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 is quite fun and it, and it and allows us, um, you know, to, to help them uh, be successful. Why do brands initially before you come in and tank their ROAS, why is that such a like valuable sought after kind of metric that so many brands focus on well, for, because they should, because it makes sense. Like you put a nickel in, you get a quarter out, like who wouldn't want that? It's just, to me, it's acknowledging that, you know, the quarter would have came out anyway. You know, if the sun is rising over the rise and we point to it and we say, Hey, the sun is rising and I'm taking credit for it. Well, you're really not, you know, you don't get to take credit for the sun coming up. And, and, and so, you know, what we want to do is, you know, figure out, you know, sort of it's the difference between, you know, correlation and causation. Um, you know, just because there's a correlation does not mean that that is the thing that caused, um, you know, GMV to go up. And so it requires going, um, you know, a bit, uh, a bit deeper, um, you know, to drive that and, and, and to figure that out. And I think I, I wish I would have thought about this in sort of the, the sense of like, how do you just create one metric that everybody optimizes towards? Um, and, and, and it's like, and, and that's my own fault for like, I just like the nuance and digging it apart and looking at the different brands and all the different ways you can do it, which creates sometimes additional friction and additional complexity. Um, that I think sometimes frustrates, you know, both, you know, colleagues and clients. And so, um, you know, one of my goals, you know, for this year is thinking through sort of how do we simplify some of these things, um, so that we can then put the upfront work into saying, Hey, here's the things that you need to go do recognizing the uniqueness of every brand, um, the uniqueness of every category, every retailer, um, and then come up with like, what is that trusted KPI that everybody optimizes towards? But I can tell you, I'm sure it's not going to be ROAS. Interesting. And then to sum up our three common mistakes, when we try and guide manufacturers away from making those mistakes, would you say that they're receptive to that? Is it a lot of push and pull between us and the clients? I look at 15% of our job uh, is, is, is education. Um, and so, you know, it's uh, my, you know, if, if Flywheel wouldn't have worked out, I either would have, you know, I, I did the math that I could pay for my house working at a, the local bike shop. So I was always like, okay, well, I can just go back and be a bike mechanic like I was in my 20s, um, you know, um, or I would go teach. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's, but like teaching is, I think, a, among the noblest, um, you know, occupations in, in, in the sense that it, you have to, uh, empathize with your audience and, and you have to understand sort of where they are coming from, um, in order to help, 
you know, you know, bring them along um, and and help them, you know, learn. This is a an industry that can sometimes, you know, jargon bomb and 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 weaponize acronyms. Uh, and 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 it, and so to me, I think the job is, you know, creating. Uh, a, a nurturing space, you know, for both, you know, colleagues and clients so that they can learn so that they can probe and, and, and ask questions. Um, and then uh, once everybody has uh, sufficiently uh, interrogated one another, and I, and I mean that in a very positive way, you can then sort of align towards, hey, this is where we're going, because you now are speaking a, a common language. Um, you, you have, you know, pressure tested everything. Uh, and you've, you know, dove deep enough, um, you know, to really understand the nuance. So do, do, do clients push back? Absolutely. And they should, like, that's the mark of a, of a great client is somebody who challenges, uh, and it's a great mark of a great colleague. And it's like, I love the people that, that question and they dig in and, and, and they, you know, and they're skeptical. Um, those are the ones that are fun to spar with. Do we ever run into any clients that just absolutely do not want to learn? And then have we, if, off the top of your head, have we turned that around or is it just kind of like, look, if you don't want to learn, it's not good. We're not going to work out. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say more like, uh, you know, years ago where, you know, folks are sort of like, you know, this, you know, like selling soap on the Internet, like great decision, Patrick, like that's going to work out real well. You know, and I, I remember one time having a, a debate with somebody who, you know, Patrick, what's the size of the prize? What's the size of the prize? And, and I finally just pulled my, my cell phone out and I was like, I was like, look, this is the size of the prize. Every single, everybody has one of these things. Like I was like, you know, th this, this is where it's going. Um, and, and so, yeah, some people don't want to learn. Um, but you know, some people aren't curious and some people aren't interesting. And I, I prefer not to spend time with people who are not curious or not interesting. Well, I hope that Patrick has found my questions to be curious enough. Anyway, I'm really curious about the answer to the question I planted in Patrick's head in the beginning of the episode. Remember? What is it he has in his wish list on Amazon or whatever digital marketplace he might browse that he for some reason hasn't pressed the buy button on yet? Here's his answer. So we have a book club. Um, it's a collection of us that are uh, English majors in, in ad tech. And, uh, and, and, uh, and there's some wonderful people in the book club. Um, and, uh, the, the gauntlet was thrown for, uh, March madness, uh, of reading war and peace. And, uh, I'm intimidated by it. I haven't pressed by now. Um, but I know some of the people in my book club have, uh, they are beasts and I know they're plowing through it. Uh, and, and I, I, I might, I might press the button, um, and, 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 and go attempt to read it, but it's a, that's a, that's a hefty, that's a hefty book. That is definitely a hefty book. I tried to read that when I was in high school, just to say that I read it. I did not get very far. It's, we just started this book called like a few months ago. And, and it was, uh, and, but last year, two of the members in the book club, they've been doing March Madness for a number of years and they did Ulysses last year. So these are gluttons for punishment. Uh, and <laughs> so like, they're not like, I'm intimidated by them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, a great group of people that, you know, um, you know, across the ad tech space that love spending time with. And that's basically it for the first episode of Mastering Metail. In our next episode, we'll begin our deep dive into the key areas you need to master in order to win on Amazon. If that didn't already intrigue you, we'll be getting into the most important elements on the retail side of things first. What all goes into winning the buy box? What even is the buy box? 
How do you go about building the perfect assortment of products and why can't you just sell everything on Amazon? We know profitability is important, but how do we even get there? This is my personal favorite piece of the puzzle, so please join us next time. This podcast is produced by Digital Commerce by Essential. The producer is Klaus Cancel, and our sound designer on this episode is Nikolai Kirk. I'm your host, Emma Irwin. You can also get in contact with me via emma.irwin at essential.com or on LinkedIn under the name Emma Irwin. I hope that you liked it. And if you did, please follow us and spread the word. And before we finish this episode, I have one more question for Patrick. At Flywheel Digital, there are always so many dogs in the office. What is it with all the dogs? Well, they were our first two colleagues. Um, so um, uh, George, uh, my dog, and, and, and Chip's dog, uh, Kipling. And when we started Flywheel, we, we thought that it was, um, you know, just, just, just they're, they're wonderful animals. Uh, you know, we as humans, I, I don't think necessarily uh, deserve uh, their love. Um, and the fact that, um, you know, they're just they're, they're great, great animals. Uh, nothing against cats. I have two cats. Um, but the, uh, you know, but they're not as good. Uh, and so the, um, so when we started Flywheel, we just thought it would be um, just wonderful to be able to have, um, you know, animals, um, you know, around. And it's sort of like, no matter like how bad your day is uh, going, like a, a, a dog is always happy to see you. And even if it's not even your dog, I mean, like, you know, and it's just, and I just, I mean, there's that cavalier, that puppy that's in the office now that is just amazing. It just makes me smile every single time I see a dog. Like I, like I love being on a conference call and hearing one bark. Like, I think it's funny. Uh, and, and, and it's a, and it's like, you can't take yourself too seriously. Like you're selling soap in the internet and you got dogs around. Um, like, you know, it's just go, go pet one and go for a walk. I love it. One of the best parts about coming into the office is just the dogs. When we moved offices, like our old office was carpeted, which was awesome for dogs running because they could turn really quickly. And, you know, it was great for, you know, playing fetch. Not great when it came to uh, dog hygiene. Um, so when we moved to the new office, we got cement floors. So it was a little bit easier uh, to clean up. Uh, and so uh, post pandemic, when everybody went out and got a puppy, I think that was a smart call.